What are some things that can hinder a Christian's prayer life? What should we expect from praying and fasting? And what is and what isn't fasting? Chris sits down with Pastor Zachariah Cheney, and they discuss these questions and more on this episode of Your Church Friends. All right, welcome to Your Church Friends podcast. I am Chris, and today I am sitting here with Pastor Zachariah. And Pastor Zachariah, just introduce yourself to the audience. I am Zachariah Chine. I am a pastor from Jos, Nigeria, uh, but here in the U.S. Uh, going to school. How many churches do you pastor in Nigeria? Uh, well, I, I pastored a number of churches before coming to the U.S. Uh, and uh, I, I was in our church denomination, which is ECWA, E-C-W-A, uh, an acronym for Evangelical Churches Winning All, uh, or Evangelical Church Winning All. I was what we call a district secretary. And as a district secretary, I had oversight over 98 churches uh, with about 129 pastors. We're going to go over prayer and fasting. Me and Murdoch covered it on the, the podcast, going through the Sermon on the Mount. We, we looked at Jesus when he talked about, I guess, the hypocrisy of praying, when you just many words, and then he said, then pray this way. So he teaches the disciples the Lord's Prayer and then gets into fasting. But before me and you cover that a little more in depth, I guess I want to ask you before we get into that, what's the difference between churches in America and in Nigeria? I think the differences could be one, cultural. And by that, I mean that, of course, you find differences in mode of worship. And mode of worship has to do with the music, has to do with the preaching, uh, every aspect of uh, the church's worship. And, and also the context under which the church in America lives and functions is quite different from the context of church and ministry back home in Nigeria. Uh, the church in America enjoys so much freedom, so much liberty, freedom of worship, uh, freedom of, of assembly and so on and so forth. Uh, whereas in Nigeria, and especially in northern Nigeria, where the church undergoes so much persecution uh, from Islam, uh, the, the, the church continues to flourish in spite of all of these. Mm. So the, the, the persecution from the Nigerian experience actually doesn't kill the church. If anything, it inspires the church and ignites a passion for God and for his work, especially that of evangelism. And of course, I, I can add that the, the church in America is rich. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and, and then, uh, of course, you're dealing also like with the church in Nigeria, uh, not as rich as the church in America, but in the midst of our poverty, we're also learning that actually generosity on behalf of the church it's not so much the issue of her wealth, um, just like the Macedonian churches, though poor, mm. yet very generous. The churches in Nigeria are like that. I, I think that's a good description to help all of us here in America just maybe. And the only reason I asked was because I did want that perspective, because I think here in America, I agree with you that our church and our freedom has made us a little bit lazy and mm. a little bit not what we should be. Mm. And, and I I like hearing when other people come, especially missionaries, and they talk about where they're coming from and yeah. the fire of God that's burning there. And I know we've had conversations before about even the persecution hasn't stopped the church. In fact, it's lit a fire under the church. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's just for all of us who are kind of what's, what is the term, Western American culture church, to really take a good look at what's going on beyond America mm -hmm. and see what the church is doing around the world to maybe challenge and encourage us to step up our game a little bit. Yeah. So with all that, we're going to get into prayer. I'm going to get into my first question here. How important is prayer to the Christian life? As important as oxygen <laughs> to human <laughs> existence. Uh, but again, uh, whether the church, and by the church, I mean the church everywhere, whether we understand the, the importance of prayer to the life of the church is another thing. When, when you look at, I mean, I would say that there are four reasons why I feel, or I can just stop at three, why prayer is important to uh, the life of a Christian. 
One is that prayer was modeled for us by Jesus himself. So when you look at Mark, like chapter 1, verse 35, Jesus will wake up very early in the morning while it is still dark to go and pray. And when the disciples looked for him and they found him, Jesus said, hey, let's go to the other city so I can preach because that is why I came. So it's almost like Jesus made it... um, a habit to always pray early in the morning. And there are many passages of scriptures where we find Jesus also praying very early in the morning. And also Jesus made it a habit to also pray before his public ministry. And then you find also um, Jesus made prayer like his life source. It was his power source. It was almost like without prayer, you are powerless. Without prayer, I mean, it, uh, back home in Nigeria, we sing, prayer is the key. And in that song, we say Jesus started his walk with prayer and ended with prayer. And then prayer becomes for us the master key. So if we're truly followers of Jesus, then we're following the example that he set for us, which is to always pray. But but you also find Jesus telling the disciples to pray so that they do not fall into temptation. He not only model prayer, but he commands us to pray, which I think for me will be the second reason uh, why prayer is very important to the Christian life. It is commanded by Jesus, pray that you do not fall into temptation. And I think somebody said this very, very well. The first time I heard it, I thought, I mean, there was something about it rhyming, but beyond the rhyme is the meaning behind it, that if we do not pray, we become prey. So, so to guard against exposing ourselves as praise of Satan and his host, we are called to pray. So, uh, and also, a prayer is important for the mission of the church. So when you look at, for instance, I think Luke chapter 10, verse 2, you find Jesus saying that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And then he says, pray ye the Lord of the harvest, that he will send laborers to the field. So prayer becomes like the mission of the church. The church cannot launch into mission without prayer. The church cannot continue mission without prayer because prayer is what opens the eyes of the church to the needs out out there. Prayer is what opens opportunities for the recruitment of men and women and listing them into the mission field, wherever that may be. The mission field doesn't have to be away from us. It could be within our very environment uh, or immediate community. So we find Jesus commanding us to pray. But also, I find that even the early church, the life of the early church was a life that was characterized by prayer. So they devoted themselves not only to the apostles' teaching, but they also devoted themselves to prayer. I mean, we can go on and, and with the other components, but prayer featured not as a program of the church, but as the life of the church. Now, I think sometimes we make the mistake of making prayer one of our programs. Mm. And because it's a program, it's for those who want to attend. And because we make it a program, it's for people who feel they belong to one of the groups. So we find something like, well, our church has a prayer group. Well, everybody is supposed to pray, whether it's prayer corporately or praying uh, individually. That is the command we have. That is a model we have. And that also was exemplified for us by the early church in her commitment to prayer. I really like that we have turned prayer into a program and it's lost its meaning in a Mm -hmm. sense because Mm -hmm. it's just a program where we come together and say like, oh, we have to do it. Or even a check list, like praying before your food, check, did it, done. And Mm -hmm. the words just become meaningless. They don't mean anything anymore. Or it's not, like you said, that driving force, that engine behind us to make us go out to the mission and the Mm -hmm. field. Really, really good stuff. Question number two then. So we now know why prayer is important. What are some things that can hinder the Christian prayer life? 
I don't know that I can speak for everyone. This is a place where I feel I can share my personal experiences. Mm -hmm. And uh, what hinders me from uh, praying? Um, I will have like four things, which are three of them, um, maybe two. Uh, well, I have like four things, but three of them are closely related. One is unconfessed sin. I feel like it's a place where Satan has a hold on me if I sin. No, actually not if, when I sin. <laughs> Satan <laughs> uses that as a hold against me. And it's almost like at that time you feel Psalm 66 verse 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So just knowing that I have this unconfessed sin has a way of just hindering me before approaching a holy God. But, but closely related to that is the issue of guilt. Because I have sinned and because I have not confessed it, and even sometimes, even after confessing it, that there's a way that guilt overtakes me and it robs me of the joy of coming before the Lord in prayer. It robs me of that longing to be in His presence. It creates in me a fear that is maybe useful sometimes but unnecessary at this time because uh, my sins are forgiven. When he died on the cross, he died for every of my sin. And so sin and guilt shall not prevent me from coming before him. And so maybe you go to Luke, First uh, John, sorry, chapter 3, uh, verse 22. And you can, you can still go back and read verse 21. That if our conscience does not condemn us, let us confidently, boldly approach uh, God's own throne. But, but even when our conscience condemns us, God is greater than our conscience. God is greater than our hearts. He's greater than our, I mean, than our sins. And he is just able and willing and ever ready to take away our guilt and our shame, the guilt and the shame of disappointing him. I, I feel also that Satan can hinder the believer. Using all of these two things that I have talked about, unconfessed sin and guilt, because in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, Satan is actually referred to as the accuser of the brethren. And what, what most of us don't realize is that when Satan goes to the Father and he accuses us before the Father for every sin and for every misbehavior, the Father reminds Satan that when he died, he died, that when his son died on the cross, he died for every one of those sins. So while I'm dealing with the issues of guilt, the Father has already made me right with, with, him, with himself through the finished work of Christ on the cross. So the, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Christ shall take away the guilt that hinders me from from spending time with God in prayer. The other thing I am thinking about is um, business. Uh, life, life here, I, I tell people that people in America live life on the fast lane. People are so busy. Uh, one of the cultural shocks that I had coming to America is, for instance, people say, Hi, Zachariah, how are you? Now, where I come from, when you, ask, when you ask somebody, how are you, you must make sure that you're ready to really hear how the person is doing because <laughs> it's a total package you're going to get. He's going to tell you he's doing fine. Uh, his wife is fine. The children are fine. The animals, if he has goats, that they are fine. Uh, the community is fine. So well-being is not just his own personal well-being, but everything around him. Uh, and, and I remember saying to my roommate in 2005, when I came to the U.S., I said, you know, I don't get it. Why do you guys say, how are you? And you don't wait to hear people respond. And he laughed. I'm sure that one day I'll get the answer. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this, this busyness, people are so busy. We're all over the place. We're running up and down. And having lived in this, in this context for a while now, I'm beginning to understand 
But within the Christian life, sometimes we get so busy that we mistake even our busyness for blessedness. Oh, wow. That because I am busy, ooh, God must be in it. Sometimes the busyness is for God's work. We're so busy doing God's work, we immerse ourselves into the activities of the church, but we are running on empty tank. We are running in our own strength, in our own knowledge, in our own ability, and in most cases, God isn't there, and we get angry at what we are doing for God because we are not doing it with Him. And the story that reminds me of these very much is the story of Martha and Mary. Now, Martha had, I mean, she she wanted to prepare a meal for Jesus, which was okay. It was a mark of hospitality. But Mary decided to spend her time at the feet of Jesus, learning from him. Now, the problem was not so much the hospitality that Martha was involved in, because she was doing something that was culturally relevant, attending to guests. But, but at the very point that she starts complaining and she comes to Jesus and said, Master, don't you care? <laughs> at that very point, you know that she's lost it. She was busy doing things for God, but she wasn't doing those things with him. Mm. So, so you find the busyness of Martha against the blessedness of Mary. I would rather be busy, I mean, be, be blessed by just being with Jesus, even if I'm not seen like Martha all over the place doing things for him, but that I'm truly spending time with him. So sometimes busyness, sometimes we get tired because of all of our busyness, uh, and, and sometimes we, we behave like the man I heard back home who wrote all his prayers. And in the night, when he comes back tired, he points his finger to the prayers and he says, Jesus, it's there. Write your prayers down and then just point to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the one thing I did like was the busyness side of it. And mm. I think we, we do definitely are a busy culture. And when you're talking about like, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. Man, that's the question I hate the most because I don't really want to answer that because I feel like I don't have time to answer mm -hmm. that. But you're right. You know, if, if someone's asking that question, it should be time to spend to answer it. And it, it just goes to show how busy we move or how fast we move through things in, in this culture in America. Mm -hmm. uh, the other one that I really, it resonated with me was the guilt. And one thing that I've been learning in the last few days is I know forgiveness and unforgiveness can hinder my prayers. Mm -hmm. So when I don't forgive someone else for doing something to me and I harbor that, that does hinder my prayers. But the one thing... I find I'm really easy to forgive other people. If you wrong me, yeah. I can forgive you, especially if you've done something nice for me beforehand, like buy me food. Mm -hmm. Like I, I'll get mad, but then I, I think, ah, oh, but they bought me food one time. So that <laughs> makes them a good person. You fed my stomach. But the person I have the most hardest time to forgive is myself. Yeah. And it's that guilt and shame that you're talking about mm -hmm. in the accuser. And that's a good description that I think we forget about the devil is that he's the accuser of the brethren. Yeah. He wants to keep us down and out. Mm -hmm. And forgiving myself has been that struggle where I know God's forgiven me, but why can't I move past my mistakes myself? And that's something I've been working in uh, really the last two to three weeks mm -hmm. of learning mm -hmm. to forgive myself. Because if Jesus said he forgave me, yeah. I'm forgiven mm -hmm. and I need to walk in that forgiveness. Yeah. It's something that we are, we're really trying to even model with our kids. Because I remember growing up and if I did something wrong, my dad was mad, mm -hmm. and I knew he was mad for quite a bit of time after that. So I never felt forgiven. Yeah. And, you know, God being correlated to our father, I put that same principle from my dad, who's a great man, so I'm not mm -hmm. blaming him. It was mm -hmm. my interpretation to then parallel who, who God is and thinking the same thing that, yes, he's forgiven me, but he's still upset. So then when I get something bad happens, that's my punishment I deserve. Yeah. So walking in that forgiveness, is, it's a hard, hard thing, I think, for a lot of people. But if we don't, understanding the ramifications of that can hinder your prayer life. Mm -hmm. Question number three. I think it's a question that a lot of people have is what do we do when it seems God hasn't answered our prayer? Sometimes I wish that I can just say I know what we should do. <laughs> um, prayer itself, the very nature of prayer. Again, I thank God for the microwave generation. 
the fast food and uh, okay i i think another way to say it is in the day and age of fast and furious <laughs> <laughs> that there's just instant everything in this country uh, that's one of the blessings of living in in a, in a country like the us um or any other developed country everything is done instantly i mean it's like you can get or you can order anything just you're just a mouse away a click of the mouse away from anything you want anywhere in the world and, and sometimes we bring this into prayer if this is god's will then he must do it instantly because we're used to getting everything instantly you don't have to say as long to get whatever food you want you can just place an order for it it will come in minutes uh, but prayer isn't intended that's not the design of prayer prayer uh, as I understand from Scripture, wasn't designed by God to give us things instantly. That's why biblical Christian prayer is a prayer that is done persistently. And, and you find that in the example that Jesus gave about this man who even knows that he was a wicked king, that he, a wicked judge who didn't fear God. But, but this woman persisted. And the man got to the point where he said, you know, even though I am this wicked and I do not fear God, let me grant this woman's request so that she doesn't wear me out. And, and Jesus used that to say, how much more of your heavenly father? So when, when we pray and it seems God doesn't answer, I think I need to ask myself, how long have I prayed? So, sometimes we, we just pray and expect the answer instantly, and it doesn't come, and we just conclude, well, it's not God's will. Because if, if this was God's will, he would have answered. Well, the prayer I just prayed and concluded wasn't God's will, could actually be God's will. But, but again, in persistent prayer, I need to know that I don't set the time frame when my prayer needs to be answered. Uh, we love to come to God with our minds already made up, like we give God deadlines, God, you have to answer this prayer between now and 5 p.m. or Otherwise, I'll just conclude it's not your will. Now, again, depending on how God chooses to work, there are times that God honors some, some of those prayers because it is in conformity with his own will. But to place God on a time frame to give God deadlines actually flips the thing around where the, the, the Christian like turns God into his lackey who exists to do his own beatings. Mm -hmm. Now, God doesn't exist to do our own beatings. It's the other way around. We exist for his own purposes. So when we pray, we must pray persistently. The, the other thing which is closely related is that when we pray, we must pray patiently. So somebody said, I don't remember who that, he said, patience is a virtue that carries a lot of weight. And uh, I, I remember a friend of mine back home saying that he used to think he was a very patient man until he got married. <laughs> <laughs> and prayer sometimes is like that. You want to know how patient you are? Start asking God for something. Commit yourself to praying for someone, whether it's for a life to be changed whether it's the life of a father, of your mother, your son, your daughter, your friend, your brother, your sister, an aunt, somebody in the family that you are praying for. You want to see how patient you are. Some of them, you will die without even them coming to fate, but they will come to fate somewhere down the line. Some of them may only come to fate at the tail end of their lives, but it's still God answering. So, we must be patient when we pray. But, but also, uh, when we pray, we must pray expectantly. So sometimes, again, I am not God to determine what prayers I answer or what prayers he answers or not. But, but sometimes, the way I hear us pray in church, we end up with, Lord, if it is your will. Not really because we are following any biblical example, the example of Jesus. No, that's not what we're doing. We are looking for a kind of a place where we can hide and say, well, God, it wasn't your will. We don't want to feel like we are to be blamed if the prayer doesn't get answered because we prayed 
by faith and trusted that it will be answered. Praying expectantly means that I have the faith to believe that anything I ask of God, which is in conformity with his own will, that he will do it. Now, when he does it, it's totally up to him. But how many of us really pray and expect something to happen? When we pray for someone who is sick, and it is God's will for the person to be healed, how many of us pray expecting that he's going to be healed or she's going to be healed? Uh, when we pray for whatever miracle we're trusting God for, it might be uh, in a, a marital relationship that isn't working the way you had hoped, uh, you had wished and prayed. Uh, do we really pray with the expectation that God who is transforming lives can transform those marriages? And, and the list is almost endless. We must pray with the expectation that God is going to answer. God answers our prayers. Never too early, never too late, but always on time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the persistent part of it, I think, is the hardest part for us as a culture. And more of like me as a person. I think sometimes we can give up praying right before the miracle or the answer comes. Mm -hmm. So the, that, why hasn't God answered me yet? Well, he has. You just got to wait for it a little bit longer. And mm -hmm. I, I think it shows us, it, it, in the waiting, it, it develops our character, develops our patience, it yep. develops our trust, it mm -hmm. develops our faith. Mm -hmm. It develops us to lean more on him yeah. and less on us. So it, it, it's a hard thing that I think we experience that, you know, why do I have to wait, God? Why can't you just do it now? But I like that instant or that God's working for us mm -hmm. at our beckoning. Mm. And I think we've developed a, definitely a, in the instant culture, the Jesus is my magical genie. So I rub him and if he doesn't answer me right away, then I get angry and frustrated, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. hurt or bitter. When Jesus is like, I'm trying to work in all that, yeah. but you've got to submit and mm -hmm. just wait for my time. And, and again, spot on with Jesus. God's answer is never too late. It's never too early. It's always on time. Yeah. It may feel too late for us, but that's because we put it in human standards and mm -hmm. perspectives. Okay, uh, so now let's shift the gears a little bit into fasting. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jumble the next two questions together because I think we can, we can do that with them. It's why should we fast and what isn't fasting? But before you answer that question, let me tell you about our website, yourchurchfriends.rocks. It's your one-stop shop for all things Your Church Friends with links to our online store where you can get some super cool Your Church Friends merch, your favorite podcasting platforms to listen to past episodes, and our Facebook group page that will keep you up to date on what we're doing. If you want more Your Church Friends content, you got it right there with our latest YouTube videos available. And while you're watching those videos, don't forget to do the three important things. Like, share, and subscribe to the channel. Remember, the website is yourchurchfriends.rocks. Why? Because we rocks. Now let's get back to that question on fasting. Let, let me start with what isn't fasting. When, when I came to the U.S. first time in 2005, and our, our church decided she was going to observe prayer and fasting, and I listened to, to the pastor tell us uh, we're going to fast. We're declaring a holy fast. And, and he said, okay, you, you can choose whatever you want to fast from. You can decide that you're not taking soda. Uh, you can decide that you, I mean, whatever it is that is like an addiction, you want to just sacrifice it, offer it up to God for this period as we pray. And, and I heard the pastor say also that uh, just don't forget to take some water or some fluids. And I sat down there and my mouth wide open and I was just saying, how is this fasting? Now, again, it's my understanding of fasting from uh, an Old Testament perspective, from, let me say, a biblical perspective, uh, and also my understanding of fasting from, from home. So when we fast as a family, it's more of if we take dinner at 6 p.m. today, we're not taking anything until 6 p.m. the following day. No fluid, no nothing. 
So, so, so that that we we do something like that uh, when we fast as a, as as a family, uh, but also a friend helped me to understand that sometimes it's possible to even do those to stay for twenty four hours without taking a meal, and it's just hunger strike, not fasting, because the only difference is that I've not eaten, I've not drank anything, but all of my life is normal. There is no quality time spent in the presence of God praying. There is even no burden in the first place for me to fast. Sometimes a church declares a fast because it is fashionable. So so we want to be known as the church that fasts. But whether it's from the Old Testament or even from the life of Jesus and the disciples, there was always a reason for fasting. Sometimes a fast is so that we will know what the will of God is. So it is in seeking for divine direction that you find whether it's Moses fasting because you're looking for you are you're looking for direction. And so you have the 40 days. You find also the Lord Jesus, just like Moses, replicating that. And that became very important, like for both the ministry of Moses and the ministry of Jesus. So, so why do we fast? And what is fasting? Uh, fasting, I want to say, is not so much what you eat or don't eat. It is what you're committing yourself to. And by that, let me also correct and say, most importantly, who you're committing yourself to. Now, when we abstain from whether it's uh, soda or coffee or whatever it is that we love the most, and we call it fasting, all we're trying to do by that is to tell God that I treasure you more than these things that I love this much. Is that fasting? I think a part of me will say, yes, it is. But, But within the Old Testament also, fasting was a mark of repentance. Whether it's Nineveh, uh, when when Jonah came, hoping that God will not answer, that God will just let these people in their stubbornness resist him so that God will destroy them. And the people and their animals fasted as a mark of repentance. And God showed grace and mercy upon Nineveh. So, so, so in, in, in fasting, we're actually saying also that what, what we're doing is repenting. So we're not only prioritizing God, we're not only seeking for divine direction, we are also telling God we are sorry. But also there is a burden that people carry. The weight of the burden pushes people to prayer and fasting. Sometimes is the burden of a lost world. Sometimes it's a burden for the persecuted church. Sometimes it's a burden for human trafficking, and all of the exploitations that go with it. So, so sometimes it's even a burden for our nation. I, I will feel as an outsider to the American culture and, and to America itself that we are at a stage where the church in America needs to not only pray but fast. With the elections coming, calls for prayer and fasting without us being political. And by that, I mean without us taking sides, that we are just praying and fasting for the peace of our nation, for, for God to raise whoever he, he wants to raise. Uh, so it, it's, it's also, um, at, at one point, Jesus talks about some demons not going except with prayer and fasting. Uh, so we, we, we fast, again, in the midst of spiritual encounter. Now, spiritual encounter is real. But for a materialistic world that believes that everything is material, that doesn't make sense of the spiritual world, sometimes we downplay the influence of the demonic world upon the life of the Christian and the life of the church. But, but we are called to pray and fast even for that. I like the repentance. I never really looked at it that way. We fast for repentance. And uh, that was really just sitting here eye-opening that, yeah, that a lot of people did it for repentance. And even when you looked at when David was praying mm-hmm. and fasting for the child, well, 
I almost want to think that was a sign of repentance of his actions yep. that were done wrong. Mm-hmm. So I think it is an integral part of all that. And and fasting, there's there's so much to it. There's so much depth. There's so much to gain in fasting, why we do it, to challenge ourselves to know God more in, mm-hmm. in depth. Uh, I was at lunch with a friend right now, and we had talked about fasting because I, I was talking about the podcast and everything. I mentioned to him that I had fasted a few weeks ago, and it, for me, had been almost five years since I had fasted. Mm. So something that Jesus shows us, something that Jesus commands us, I think it's something that we don't do enough. And I liked how you even mentioned uh, that we should fast for our nation and everything because, yeah, we're we're not doing that. Nineveh did it. They, they realized they were in the wrong and everyone fasted. Mm-hmm. But we're not doing that. We're not putting... I think this is a very much a biblical command that we are not applying as much as we should anymore. And I think if we did, all of us as Christians, we would see a bigger change within ourselves, Mm -hmm. which would lead to a bigger change to the community around us. It's more, that's more of a conviction for me Mm. because I definitely have been dropping the ball on the whole fasting game. And while we're there talking, he said to me, uh, I challenge you to fast because I told him I did what you said, the Mm -hmm. dinner to dinner. And that's what I did. And man, I, when Justine got home, I was like, cook. Yep. <laughs> I said dinner to dinner. I didn't put a time cap on mm-hmm. it. I just said when dinner to dinner is. And mm-hmm. I said, you cook because I'm starving. But he told me, I challenge you to do three days next time. Yeah. Because the longer your body goes without, the more you start to realize. And he brought up Jesus, how Jesus mm-hmm. was consistently in the desert telling his body, no, 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 for 40 days and 40 di- yeah. nights that when the devil came to tempt him with three questions, it wasn't in his weakness he was able to tell the devil no. It was in the strength of the muscle he had built up mm-hmm. of saying no to the flesh that he very easily could tell the devil no. And I think that's an important part of fasting that we're missing is that maybe we're giving in and compromising so much with our what we believe and what we do as people. It's because we're not strengthening that muscle of saying no. So we very easily tell the enemy, all right, I guess. Let's see how this one plays out. Because we haven't strengthened that muscle of no. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is, fasting to me, it's an old new thing. It's something that I'm definitely putting into my life. And I do see the value of it more and more every day as we uh, move forward. And, and sorry, and m- maybe because there's just so much food around. Yeah. Uh, the eyes are all over the place. But, but, but again, if you don't have a reason to fast, if you don't have a reason to fast, why fast? And by that, I mean, if I am a Christian who doesn't feel the, the need to fast, uh, then I should start questioning what kind of a Christian I am. Yeah. Uh, because there's just so much in this messed up world that we all live in that calls for us to just pray and fast. It is important that, that we, make, we, we make it a habit, mm-hmm. not an event. Prayer and fasting should be our life. It should be a habit, a discipline, not just an event. I know that when I used to pray and fast and would look at the clock because I took dinner at 6 p.m. and I want (laughs) to take my next dinner at 6 p.m. And it's like the 6 p.m. is taking another 24 hours to come. (laughs) And you're just looking at the clock. You're just waiting for the next one minute. Now, you don't want to be driven by what time. I think for me, most importantly, is who I was with. Was I spending time with God? Did I, did I like lose myself completely in Him so that I'm coming out of that spiritual experience stronger, more committed in my faith and in my love relationship with Him, in my love for for the world that we live in? Am I coming out of it with greater humility than I went into it? Because I I think that if there's another thing that should humble us is the spiritual discipline of fasting. Now here, I I don't say humiliate us, but humble us. The spiritual discipline of, of fasting, it helps us to be humble. Looking at the clock thing, it just lit up in my head right now, this idea of, when you're dating someone or you're with people, you don't look at the clock when yep. you're enjoying yourself. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when I was fasting, I caught myself, what time was it? When's Justine getting home? How much longer till dinner? Like almost a countdown. I wanted it to end. 
And that says a lot about my level of where I'm at in my walk with God. And I think that's a challenge to everyone who's listening, that if you practice this fasting, when you fast, because I, I think it even says that Jesus says, when you fast, so mm-hmm. he's telling us, mm-hmm. you, you need to fast. Yep. When you fast, it shouldn't be a burden that you want it over. Yeah. Because you're right. Mm-hmm. If we are spending time with God the correct way, and not just I stopped eating and I still carried on with my day, but I, I'm spending time devoted to knowing and going to him more and more and more that I shouldn't want it to end that I should just enjoy the company of our Savior so much that it's, oh, it's past six? I didn't even notice it. And how many times have you been out with friends? I know I have. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember when me and Justine were dating, and we're sitting just together in my room or at her parents' house just talking, and then looking at the clock like, oh, man, it's two in the morning. I need to get home. And time just flew by because we were enjoying each other. So I think fasting should should do the same way. I think that's why Jesus says don't go around like the Pharisees who are you know, making themselves mm-hmm. disfigured mm-hmm. and, oh, look at me, I'm fasting and I look so somber. Yep. But that it should be a thing that we are, you know, wash your face, mm-hmm. look normal. Because mm-hmm. if you're going through it the right, proper way, you're going to just feel joy. Yeah. Which I'm really glad you brought that up. When me and Murdoch did it, that nowhere had that clicked in my head. But when you said that, that clock thing, I just thought, like, yeah, when we spend time with people we like, we're never looking at the clock. I like, I like what, what you just said. You know, there are some people you meet, and even if it's just the two of you together, you don't have any subject. So you run out of words, you run out of issues, out of conversations, because it's either that you're total strangers to each other, and sometimes it's just question and answer. Uh, Where are you from? And the person answers. And then it takes a while because you're trying to figure out, this silence is uncomfortable, what do I say? And, and prayer gets to be something like that. The more we know God, the more we don't run out of issues. Mm-hmm. The more we don't run out of conversations. The, the more we, we talk without even noticing how long we've been together. And, and even with that, the, the dating thing you, you, you just mentioned, when Salamatu and I were also going out, there were times we will sit together. It's not even as if we're saying any word to each other. We're, we're sitting together just quietly. But there's something about that silence that speaks volumes. It not, it's not the silence of, I don't even know what to tell her now. No, it is the silence of fulfillment. You're just overjoyed mm. being in the presence of this woman that you so much adore, that even the silence is speaking volumes. Now, I say this to correct uh, the notion that we always have about prayers. For instance, that it's talking to God and God talking to us. Instead of just communication in terms of talking, it's communion. And in this communion, there is a place for silence where we're just quiet before him. But we are lost in the awesomeness of God in those moments of silence as God speaks and moves in our lives and in the lives of people around us in ways that words are just inadequate. I I just said this to say, you're you're right, you're (laughs) right. Uh, When we're with people we love, time, I mean, it's like time moves too fast. Yeah. Yeah, I envy you if you get to sit down in silence with your wife. Justine does not. No silence. She, <laughs> my, she loves to talk, and she will talk about everything and anything. Uh, but it's a good combination yeah. for us. Yeah, it, it really is. I, she knows how to get me out of my little moods mm-hmm. by just talking. So, mm-hmm. last question. Yeah. As we wrap this all up, what should we expect? And I think you answered this a little bit, but what should we expect from praying and fasting? That God will move. I, I grew up singing. I, I went to an Anglican secondary school back home in Nigeria, and so we learn a lot of the hymns, ancient and modern, and, and one of those songs is God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. If I don't have any reason to believe that God will answer when I pray, prayer is useless. It's of no use for me to pray if God will not answer. Now, the, the, the answer here doesn't have to be what I asked him for, 
but but the trust and the faith and the belief that even when he doesn't answer it my way that he's truly answering so there is a need for us to to see prayer and fasting as divine instruments that God has brought so that we will not only spend time with him but God can bless us out of those moments by granting our, our request because it is his design that will make our prayers and petitions and supplications known to him through prayer. He designed it that way, and I think there's a reason why we should continuously pray, expecting that we will get results from him. Uh, the results, again, could be that I will be a better person uh, for my community, that I'll be a better child of the Heavenly Father, that I'll be a better husband to my wife and a better father to my children, uh, that I will not be a nuisance to society. Prayer and fasting again, you, you know, it's, it's uh, I say of prayer and fasting that I don't care how many books about prayer you read. If you're not praying, you're not praying. In one church, the pastor said to me, he said, you know, our people cannot pray for 30 minutes because we're observing prayer. And I discovered that when we go to pray, somebody stands there and do Bible exposition. And we have like five minutes to pray or at most 10 minutes. And I said to the pastor, what are we doing? And, he, and that was when he said, our people cannot pray for 30 minutes. And I said to him, how do they learn to pray? You learn to pray not by reading the latest books on prayer, but it's by praying. It's like fishing. I don't care how many videos you have watched on, on fish, fishing. I don't care how many books. You can buy the latest editions of books on fishing. So long as you're not going to the river and casting your nets or the hooks and experimenting with it, you're not going to be an expert fisherman. You can have so much knowledge about fishing and yet not be a good fisherman. And prayer is like that. The more we pray, the more we develop the skills, the desire, the appetite to just want to pray. So I, I will think that prayer and fasting is still vital for the life of the church, especially in this day and age that we live in, uh, where the church gets lost as far as her commission and her mission in this world is concerned. The church needs to be asking herself, why are we here? So we need clarity from God. We need direction from God. But, but sometimes I think what we do as, as the church of Jesus Christ is we come up with our programs and our plans and our own visions that we have crafted out of our, our intelligence. And we tell God, God, these are our plans. Can you just stamp them for us? Because whether you like it or not, we will do it. And, and I remember, I don't know who it was that said, if the spirit of God were to leave the church, how long will it take before the church realizes? Ouch. And I said, for most, we won't even realize that the Spirit has left because all this while we've been operating without His power, without His, we've been operating in our own strength. And it might be our financial strength. Our, our, I mean, it might be our intellectual strength. It might be other resources, but not in the power of the Holy Spirit. So it is in prayer and fasting that the church is able to access all of these resources that God has made available to the church. The church is powerless until she prays. The church is powerless unless she prays. That's really good stuff. I wish we could sit here for another hour. So I'm going to have you back somewhere down the road to, to go over another topic. But thank you, Pastor Zachariah, for sitting down with us. I just want to share on a personal note how much of an influence you've been to me over the last two years. Coming from a time where I was really struggling with the loss of my cousin, and, and dealing with that pain, you preached mm. one Sunday on, on struggles. Mm. And you said this, even if God told you why, would it even matter? Mm. And that resonated so much with me in the last two years that it was almost a healing mm -hmm. hit my heart when I heard that. And, and dealing with death and experiencing that pain and that loss, that if God told me why that happened, mm -hmm. would it change how I responded or anything? So it, it's helped me so much. So thank you. And to have you sit here and, and talk on the show with me has been a, a true blessing and an honor. So I know you have a, your YouTube channel going on. So go ahead and explain that and, and then we'll wrap up the show. Oh, well, let me uh, begin by just saying thank you for having me. Uh, it, it's, it's a great honor. Uh, you, you guys are such a huge blessing. 
to me as a person, to my family, and especially to the boys. I mean, this, this, this is just a gift of God. And I see you guys all as a gift to us and our families. And just thank you. Uh, I, I'll be more than willing to come again any day, any time. Uh, and, and also, so my, my YouTube channel, Which Way Nigeria, it's uh, born out of a vision and burden for Nigeria, primarily because of the killings that are going on, especially in the middle belt of Nigeria and also the northeast of Nigeria, but also all over the country. And about three weeks ago, I was hoping that there's going to be this mass movement of Nigerians who are angry at what is going on. And I was just calling for this collective rage of a nation that things cannot continue this way. Now, unknown to me, God has also been working in the minds of so many people. And this week, we saw and we're still seeing mass protests all across Nigeria. So God is doing something. One has to do with police brutality, uh, which which also resonates within this culture. Yeah. And I don't want to get into it because <laughs> it's not it's not my lane. Uh, but also the killings and the insecurities in Nigeria. So it's what I do. And uh, hey, I invite you to to also join and and see what we're doing with the hope that we can make a little impact. And if anything here in America, we could watch and pray mm-hmm. along with you guys for Nigeria. But yes, if you, if anyone's listening, please uh, subscribe to the channel, look at it in 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 our own way here in America or anywhere mm-hmm. else. Let's pray yeah. and and lock arms with our brothers there who are fighting a tremendous battle. Mm-hmm. So that's it. That's all I've got. I'm Chris, and I'm sitting here with Pastor Zachariah. Thank you for listening. That was a good show. Hey, thank you. I enjoyed it. Let's welcome back your hosts, Hippa and Chris. Hippa, look at all that money we raised tonight. Aren't we just the best? Hippa? Hippa, where are you? Hi, Chris. I'm right here. What's wrong with your face? It looks all disfigured. I care so much about our wonderful charity to help us look good as we give to the needy organization that I decided to fast for us to raise all the money needed. Fasting. See, that's how I know you're much more spiritual than I am. Bravo to you for coming out here and letting us all know that you're fasting for this amazing cause. Everyone, let's get HIPAA a round of applause. Your praise is all I can ask for and definitely all the reward I need. You know, I say you can tell how spiritual someone is by how miserable they look. That's right. Well, as HIPAA keeps fasting, let me remind you, the audience, that you can call 1-800-555-GIVE or Venmo us at HIPAA and Crit Looks Good 5. With a simple donation as small as $1,000, we're able to get together food supplies, clothing, and other necessities. But the most important part is the card within the package that says, From HIPAA, Crit, and Friends. So give now and give generously.